our dynasty. Right here on SAFM, leading the conversation, uh, I have Advocate Sipo Mantula. Good morning and warm welcome to The Morning Bliss. And we morning to the morning listeners and as well as the listeners uh, on our dynasty. I think this is better, I will say, a very important uh, uh, debate uh, and a thinking of uh, relooking and looking back to Sudan and North Sudan or the South Sudan on two or three bases that uh, from where I, I was located from the Tabon Ibeti School. The current, the former president was also a mediator in that conflict at some point. Mm. And secondly, yesterday, it marked 18 years since the assassination of one of the founding leaders of the South Sudan, John Garangi Mabiyo. And thirdly, the 9th of July marks the independence of the Southern Sudan. So you look that the month of July is loaded with histography, and the geography of the space, and also, like you have said, the political currency and the military currency, where are we now in terms of looking at the conflict or the war in Sudan? But I'll always say to say it is important to know Sudan as one of the longest countries that has been involved in war. We should not look at the war of 2023 outside the view of the conflicts that have been there, dating back, you know, uh, and that's where you have the longest river, being the Nile River in Sudan, uh, connecting with Egypt and Ethiopia. But when you look back at Sudan itself, what are the push and the pull factors of this conflict? And also, why does it affect us in the south, uh, whether in Azania, in South Africa, whether in West Africa or North Africa? What is this about the conflict in Sudan? I think it's very important to first have a geopolitical history also understand the current developments, but always look at what then is the role of a, an African and what then is the role of the African media in terms of navigating, deciphering why the conflict in Sudan. Absolutely. I mean, this has been going on like you highlighted. I think you, you just went straight to, to the core of my, my thinking, um, if I may put it that way, where... These wars have been happening. I mean, we've been at it since 1952, you know, and, and the question is, where does the cancer originate from? Why is it Sudan is in this position? Could it be because of oil? What really is the issue? Because you cannot have a country constantly going through conflict. And at some point, um, that conflict has to end. So just to, to, to find out from you, I mean, what could be the real issue in Sudan? Why we are where we are? I mean, considering also it's a beautiful country. It's, a, it's an amazing no, 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 correct. country. You know, it is. You know, it is an amazing country. Hence, I raise that uh, being, uh, you know, when you look at the push and the pull factors, you have already treated one. One of the economic drivers has been the oil. But also, if you look at theoretically the Great Middle East project, if you look at Sudan, it's situated both almost in the north, of the African continent, close to your Libya, close to your Maghreb region, where you have this Arabization or Islamization of the Bantu speaking. So there was a, a, the issue of exclusion of the Bantu, of the Africans, as, 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 as early as the beginning of Sudan. You'll recall that we'll always say, 
Sudan yes, is the first African country to gain independence from Britain on the 1st of January 1956, but we'll always look at Ghana as the model of the pan-African knowledge. But when you go back to the push first of ethnic tribal wars, and those two keywords are used of Arabization and Islamization, it brought the idea of John Garangi Mabio when he said we needed a united and a new Sudan, meaning Sudan had to be secular, pluralist, and democratic in in in, in uh, its shape. So you had Arabization that was brought by the Arabs, whether from Bashir, whether from the time of the uh, initial president of uh, Sudan. So they had excluded Africans from the south. Hence, we had a referendum in 2011. And some of us were privileged to be there. You know, we didn't see the referendum from Google of the CNN and BBC coverage, we were there. We saw the plight of the South Sudanese, how they had to separate from the Arabization and the Islamization. Now, two years later, again, is that I didn't mention it. Why 2023 and 2013 are very important for our listeners. 2013 was also the impasse between Ritmacha and Salvatier until today. So they, they got independence 2011. But in, in 2013, there was a, a, a impasse that has led to many peace processes going on. So Sudan also had what I call internal tribal war and also militarization of politics that has been developing Sudan, but also its natural resources that has been kept by the North. So the South Sudan, to find where it is, it is because of it was unjustly, it was looted, plundered, not only by the Arabs, including Europeans. So you have your, your hidden hands and mouth that are, are, have been eating Sudan for many years. Hence, you have this conflict also between Sudan, Egypt, and Ethiopia around the Nile River. But yeah. it doesn't also benefit the South Sudanese. So the big question again is, when you look at, 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 the, at the parties, the South Sudan and, and Sudan, they are cut from the same fabric. As much as we may look slightly different in, in color, right? When you, like you're talking about, um, uh, you know, the, Arab, the, the Arabs. You look, Arab, you look at Arabs, you look at Africans. We just sli- look slightly different, but we are from the same fabric. Why can we not get to a point where we end this conflict? You know, the... The issue for us not to end this conflict is that I said to you earlier, there was this program that came in the early 90s, you know, that was called the Great, uh, what they call the Great Middle East, and Sudan was part of it. So the Great Middle East project was also what you saw of the Arab Spring. Your Tunisia, your Egypt, Algeria, Libya, Yemen, Syria, Bahrain. So when, when, when you leave this Arabization, it's something that we should not run away from. Because the issue of creating instability also in the in Sudan also benefits your Russian militia, your Wagner group. It also benefits the U.S. It also benefits the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Hence, the current conflict now was held in Saudi Arabia. The first process when there were there were many conflicts happening between the two army generals, who were by the way proxies and uh, you can say subordinates of. Um, 
General Omar al-Bashir, who ruled Sudan under the pretext of the Sharia law, undermining the bandu. So the question is that we cannot run away from that what John Garang saw when he said for Africa and for Sudan to unite, that must not unite as a continent, it must unite as nation. And as a nation, African, when you look at the state of the nation in Sudan, it was that you had a tiny minority of Arabs who wanted to control the majority of Africans who were left out of the economy for many years. And hence, when you go to the South Sudan, they will remind you to say, we see our struggle similar to what happened in apartheid South Africa. Hence, they were in a black consciousness level that they kept on reminding me to say, Sipo, when you come back to South Sudan, bring us the book of Bantu Biko, I write for what I like. So you, you, you will understand how the South Sudanese understood the question of ethnic and tribal wars. Now that we are saying that the war now goes on the issue of economy, goes on the issue of the use of the media, the issue of those who analyze it in the conflict in Africa. So it, it will take you back to how African leaders are also being assassinated along the way. Mm. Because the killing of John Garang, as I mentioned yesterday, it marked 18 years. It was also an assassination that happened to Samara Machel. It's the same assassination that has happened to uh, not only Gaddafi, but to people like Patrice Lumumba, Thomas Ankara, you know, many leaders have been killed because they stood for the truth. So the history of the South Sudan, it's a pity we cannot do justice to it because there are many layers of us to understand why there was also secession or the breakaway of the South Sudan from North Sudan. And as Africans, what is the African Union saying? Is there anybody who's interested or it's a matter of we all sweep, we sweep all this under the carpet? Or it has happened or it has stopped under the carpet, moving right along? When, when you look at the African Union, before African Union, the Organization of African Unity, OAU, dealt with the question of the South Sudan and North Sudan uh, with the Addis Ababa Agreement of 1972. That lasted until 1983. So 1983 brings to us the second uh, war of Sudan. That's where John Garang emerges. And when John Garang emerges, when I take you now to the African Union, what happened after the military coup by even General Burhan against General Bashir? <clears throat> we saw only the African Union suspending Sudan from its uh, table in terms of taking decisions. So I think the, uh, the African Union have lost a plot to understand the emergency and the agency of the plight of the women of Sudan and the youth of Sudan and the elders of Sudan, both sides, because even the conflict that took place in the South Sudan in 2013, it was also the failure of the African Union as a member state, because Sudan was a newly born state almost two years after 20. 11, mm. but it was never given support. Actually, they were looting their oil, and there was also corruption among the Sudanese political leaders who came from exile and who were in exile. So the creeping also is not to blame AU, because the AU is just a mere technocrat. Uh, uh, you can call them technocrats, but also politically leads. We are just squandering African resources. Mm. If, 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 if one has to describe and unmask them, the AU, that all these regional bodies, when you look at them with a set eye, they are mostly 
you can you can call them they're the they're the looters of African knowledge. They don't have agency. You look at the Niger coup now that is going on. You only see ECOWAS moving in, uh, and you only see them in the Twitter streets. I always say that social media doesn't build an African consciousness. No, it doesn't. For you to rush into. But if the AU was serious on the South Sudan and the North Sudan, it could have mediated. Look how the U.S. mediated in Sudan by going to Saudi Arabia. Now, uh, Abdullah Fattah, is from Egypt, wants to mediate the conflict of Sudan. Um, at some point, Abi Ahmed wanted to mediate. So you ask yourself, the AU has to work with the elders, hence former presidents also become mediators of this conflict. Mm. So will I be correct to say anything, I mean, as the African continent, we, we, we seem to have a very common thread where corruption seems to be in our, in our DNA. If I have power and I'm a decision maker, and I can get away with it. We just, you know, that's, that's just how we are. What, what happened to the origin if we go back to, you know, go back to history, like way back into history? I think the African content, uh, continent was, was managed much, much better than it is now with all these relationships that we have with the Western world. And also generals. Why, should we, why should we have generals being head of states because they are so quick on the trigger. No, 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 correct. But if we have to return to the source, we, we return to the genesis of African leadership governance, you find that we have two hegemonic powers in Africa. And I've mentioned one. I've been trying to unmask the Islamization and Arabization. I've not come to the European. Now we have added the third layer of the militarization why you have generals in African governance systems. But the same generals are becoming part of what you said. They are the protectors of national sovereignty, but they are also obstructors. They also disrupt the national sovereignty project, disrupt the national democratic project. And this general also, if you look at Sudan, one country that if one has to look, the same university I'm attached to, we have trained many Sudanese, by the way, so you find that there were many generals. So when you have to think of their package, that goes into the budget of the defense ministry already. It's the same like apartheid South Africa, where you had many generals when they have to take package, they affected in the budget uh, cutting of the of the ministry. So you had many generals there. So the issue also is how do we de uh, uh, politicize the issue of the military also, not to be involved into power. You see it in Zimbabwe, Constant Chiwenge, the vice president. You, you will see it in Rwanda, General Paul Gagame, Museveni. So, so you will see all this thread in the continent that is, it is also that the militarization of the state has to be looked into. Hence, it was important for John Garang also not to be, people think that General John Garang was just a, a military leader, but he studied the economy, he studied agriculture. He knew that the history of Sudan also lies on the question of its natural resources. So for me, it is a matter of drawing even the line that, yes, we'll always have a military and a civilian relations, but it's how do we manage it. The Sahel actually giving us flames of what we see now of young generals assuming power from your General Traor of Wagadugu, Mamadou from Guinea um, Conakry. Uh, you see Asim Goit in Mali. So you see the trend of these young 
military generals. And also, by the way, that what I've picked up, they're also trained by the Americans. What fascinates me also ah. is their military IQ. Where is it from? The French, you know, Americanization. You know, so for me, it worries me in terms of their signal and their data. Where is it being sent? Where is it being bought? And of course, we know that with the Americans, when it comes to arms, that's another conversation altogether. Let's just take a small break. And when we get back, we continue with our conversation. And uh, I am speaking to Advocate Sipo Mantula from TM African School of Public and International Affairs. And uh, the spotlight is on uh, South Sudan and just giving you the country's profile and maybe a bit of understanding why they are in this position. And as African nations, when are we going to learn? Civil war is like cannibalism. You are eating your own. We'll take a break. Our dynasty. I say, I say, Africa must wake up. The sleeping sons of Jacob for what tomorrow may bring. May a better day come. Yesterday we were kings. Can you tell me, young ones, who are we today? And it is Morning Bliss, Bertha Charuma with you until five, uh, standing in for Patricia. Uh, but this morning we're talking to advocate Sipo Mantula from TM African School of Public and International Affairs. And uh, we are putting the spotlight on Sudan, which just does not seem uh, to get it right in terms of peace for whatever reason. And of course, just to give you a bit of, uh, you know, a slight background, which is quite recent, where an armed conflict between the Sudanese armed forces and uh, the paramilitary rapid support forces uh, arrival uh, basically factions of military government well they they just had a misunderstanding and the misunderstanding was not a small misunderstanding it just led to a bit of a palaver if I may say so but anyway um, advocate Sipo Mantula is with us to unpack some of you know the history of Sudan welcome back advocate and in, I think in our last uh, seg- segment of our conversation, my big question is, is there a way forward? And if it is, where does it come from? Now, there is a way forward. I've alluded on the legacy of John Garang. When I read some of his thinking, um, actually I was born to meet John Garang to be honest with you, in Namibia in 2005 in May. He could not make it. He sent... Um, the current Minister of Regional Affairs, Benjamin Marial, when he says the new Sudan will have to be, like I said earlier, pluralist, will have to be secular, will have to be democratic, uh, will have to look at the issues of transitional justice. I might not have spoken about the Darfur region, which I think is another topic for another day. The way Sudan is so vast, um, the issues around um, community beneficiation of the mineral resources, the issue of diversity, of understanding cultural religious diversity, uh, and the issue of the military going back to the barracks and you have civilian rule. So solution is there, but not only in the north. In the south also, they have to go for the elections come 2024. Because since 2013, there have never been elections in the southern Sudan, a very newly born state. So you need that, those efforts. The role of universities are very important how to support the knowledge-based system there. The role of media, who captures, who reports Sudan and the South Sudan, very important. We have dropped the ball as our national broadcaster. 
uncovering Africa. We also rely on foreign uh, reporters. So sometimes they misinterpret us and misrepresent our story. That is why it is his story. It's not our story. It's not her story. It's not a Sudanese story. It is a certain story. You know? So it's very important to deal with media propaganda on African conflict. And finally, I think the issue of the economy well, on Africa, continental free trade. If you have a conflict in Sudan and you have people moving out of Sudan, you have refugees uh, in neighboring countries, how do you handle now trade and economic development in that state? Uh, so for me, those, those are the key issues, the elements that make what Sudan might be, whether the new Sudan, uh, North Sudan, Southern Sudan, but also to affirm the African identity in the South Sudan. Is what it has been their challenge. And our role as South Africa, as we have supported them for many years, should also be revisited. I think we have dropped the ball on the on the South Sudan, but we have our embassy, we have the High Commissioner, it is important to keep those information flowing to say what then is our role in those African conflicts beyond us people saying we will tend to rush to Russia and Ukraine conflict, but we leave our African conflict. So it is important, let's try to look at African conflict with that collective view. Well, Advocate, we're going to have to leave it at that. And thank you so much for joining us on The Morning Bliss right here on SAFM. It's quite interesting, you know, to just go back in history and having those conversations. And I think most probably the next time we, we have this conversation, I would like to find out from you whatever happened to the United Nations of Africa because there were talks at some point and they just fell somewhere along the way and I don't know why and how. But thank you so much for joining us and uh, have yourself a great Monday. Uh, that's Advocate Sipo Mantula from ATM African School of Public and International Affairs and we've just been talking about uh, Sudan and, you know, he was unpacking the history of Sudan I just hope there will be peace at some point. Can the African continent just get it right? We've got too many resources to let other people from the Western world to come and just extract and walk away whilst we're watching. It's quarter to five.